You're listening to Body IO FM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky, where cutting edge science meets the razor's edge of health and performance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body IO FM with your host, Kiefer, and co host, Dr. Rocky. Hey, Kiefer who was just momentarily stuffing his face, so I can let the delay go this time. I can um, continue to stuff my face. That's totally fine, because today we also have AJ, uh, also known as Andrea Jangle, uh, on the show today. Hi, everybody. Yeah, she is actually the inspiration for this podcast. We wanted to do one last end-of-the-year podcast, uh, because apparently everybody has a lot of things to rant about. And surprisingly, I am the one with the least amount of stuff queued up to rant about. So I'm just going to piggyback off of everybody else's rant because I'm sure I can complain about just about everything. Um, so this is the, the end of the year wrap up. I guess we'll just go over things that have been released and why they annoy us and questions that keep coming up uh, from the peanut gallery. Unfortunately, some of that peanut gallery lives in my Facebook uh, private group, but it happens. Uh, so we're going to start with Rocky because he's the one who always attempts to be this half-assed voice of reason whenever I go on my rants, and he always tries to derail me with pretty much little to no success because once I get going, <laughs> there's really nothing that's going to stop me. You're so, like a wind-up tour. We just wind you up and let you go. Oh, pretty much, that's yeah. That's kind of how it works, right? Yeah, so... I, I, someone's got to be the voice of reason, man, right? No. That doesn't even make <laughs> sense. <laughs> At least not on my podcast. Um, well, all we need is the voice of science. Nothing else really matters. All right, that's true. This yep. is true. Yep. So, what, what have you got? I, I don't have a whole lot because, I, uh, uh, as usual, I'm well-prepared. Um, but I think that a couple of things that I certainly would rant about would be... The first thing would be uh, Facebook. That would be the first thing to rant about, I suppose. But <laughs> in general, the number of times I've seen people comment that, and in particular with regards to diabetic patients, that carbs are essential and that if you're a diabetic and you didn't eat carbs, you would die. Uh, that is a particular pet peeve of mine. <clears throat> but that, I think that goes uh, unfoddered, so to speak, on Facebook and unchecked. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, with type 2 diabetics, we know that they can certainly live without carbohydrates. And certainly type 1s can live without carbohydrates as well. The only caveat there is uh, like type 1s cannot live without insulin in most cases. And, and that's a distinction that gets forgotten and confused because obviously if you don't eat carbs and you're a type 1, you probably don't have to use as much insulin, which is right. probably a good thing down the road. So that's probably my first rant. Um, I can keep going. The other rant I probably thought about for over the year at least um, is the whole resistant starch. I don't know if I want to call it a debacle, but just canard. a canard. A canard. Perfect. Yes. The <laughs> canard is resistant starch. It just – it, you know, it, it's not that it, it's the canard that exists that, that bothers me. It's the amount of time I spent trying to chase that canard down <laughs> ah. with, with looking at the research and, you know, and, and then just you know, the, 
just the mindless bullshit that goes on on you know Twitter and Facebook regarding resistant starch. Um, I, I just uh, it is just really uh, it really uh, again is annoying. It's more than and it's like annoying and irritated to me that we had to de- uh, that you know we were kind of taken down that pathway. I'm not going to say resistant starch is pointless. But I think I really liked your summation, and I think one of the podcasts in terms of micro, you know, the gut microbiota, it, it's more of a reactive um, organ, so to speak. It's not necessarily healthy or sick, but may reflect you being healthy or sick. Um, and I really like that thought process. Um, and whether you have resistant starch in your diet or not doesn't necessarily always dictate that organ, so to speak. So right. those are my two rants. I could, I'm sure as we talk, more will come up. And I'm sure Andrea has more that, um, you know, that I'll probably chime in on. But those are the two things that kind of caught my eye. That resistant starch was just more on reflection and that the the whole carbs are essential for your diet because I just see this over and over again on Facebook. I just – it's over and over again. And, um, you know, I don't know. That's what I got. It's not a lot, but – Well, on the diabetics point, I, I think that's interesting because we recently had – a podcast guest who recommended high amounts of carbohydrates for type two diabetics, which I think is a disaster. Um, and I know you do too, after treating several in your practice, um, we've got, um, what's his name? I can't even remember his name now. The mouse doctor. What's his the name? Mouse doctor. He's only done research in mice, but now he's giving advice to high performance athletes. He's been on the show. Uh, and I'm gapping on his name too. The mouse doctor. Yeah, it'll come, uh, it'll come to us. All right. Legacus. Yeah, Legacus. And, you know, he's looking at research and saying, oh, well, diabetics, type 2 diabetics in particular, should eat all of their carbs first thing when they wake up. Um, which, again, from somebody who's never worked with an actual human being, this is disastrous information because they actually have studies showing the diabetic con- the consequences to healthy people and diabetics of eating all your carbs first thing in the morning. And there's also hunger and satiety issues there as well. So you've got the, the problem is, you know, some people are using this research in just horrible ways to justify literally just being different. Um, and, and then on top of it, you have the old school that uses, you know, bad research to defend the old school because that's all they know and that's all they want to see. And then you've got these people in the middle that just, you know, don't want to be so far out of the status quo that nobody will listen to them. You know, they want to be easily accepted and they don't understand that that pretty much destroys the utility of their diet. Um, but back to my point, uh, an article will be published in January uh, in, let me see which journal, in the journal Nutrition. And it's a review. Uh, the lead reviewer is Dr. Richard Feynman, who we've had on the show before. And the review is Dietary Carbo carbohydrate restriction as the first approach in diabetes management. And they go through a critical review of the data and why that is the most important first step in treating type 2 diabetics. Uh, So, you know, the rant here basically is that people are ignoring science or using science just to look different so they can get some attention. Um, And then others are, you know, half-assing the science so that they're not too different so that they can get attention. You know, we, we just have the flat-out facts. You don't need carbohydrates to live. Uh, it's a small part of any necessary tissue in the body. 
your body can make up to 75 grams of carbohydrates per day with the protein that you ingest, which is way more than you need. Um, but that is about its maximum capacity for the average human being. That's a lot of carbohydrate in and of itself. That's enough to take care of all the extracellular matrix structure that we need, um, even glycogen replenishment and extreme ketogenic diets and exercise. They've shown that in studies. We do not need to ingest any carbohydrates whatsoever. And, you know, if you're diabetic or you're headed down that road, that could be a critical component to you not getting better. If you're still trying to ingest carbohydrates just because you want them or you feel like, well, potatoes are safe because somebody said they're safe or rice is safe because somebody said rice is safe. Um, anyway, I, I can stop on that rant. Sorry, like you, you said, you wind me up and I just go. <laughs> well, like I said, you know, we, I see diabetics every single day in the practice and have been for many, many years. And, you know, we as a physician, typically we're throwing lots of medications at these patients. And I will tell you, the single most important intervention you can do in a diabetic patient is carbohydrate restriction. That is where the gold is at. And if you get a diabetic to restrict carbohydrates, they get healthier by and large without fail. And certainly um, I've seen patients come off all their medicines, including their antihypertensives and their anti-diabetic drugs and their cholesterol medicines um, because they made such a drastic lifestyle change. And you know, for them, it's not going to be drastic because if they don't change their lifestyle, they're going to end up six feet under. So um, it's That's just a pretty matter drastic of time. change. Might, I mean, it might, it might not happen, <laughs> you know, in a, in a week or a, two, a month, but it might happen in five or 10 years and it might not happen the way you want it to happen, right? You know, right. You, know you, you might be lucky and have a fatal heart attack and drop dead, which would probably be the way to go. But invariably, you might have a stroke that's going to leave you with a feeding tube and um, a, a trach and, and some t skilled, ner skilled nursing facility. That's highly possible too. And so obviously, we, we've talked about how our medical costs are gone skyrocketing in this country and it just continues to work at a logarithmic scale. And, you know, it, it's, it's so ironic because the solution, the part of the solution is just cut your carbs. I mean, and we're not, I don't think any of us here are advocating don't eat any carbs ever, but I mean, you know, certainly restriction play, can play a huge role and, it, and you know what? It's free. It's, it's not a copay. It's not a medication right. that has to be researched for billions of dollars. Yeah. And that's, that's something clear on, in our camp specifically in body IO, we are not the go ketogenic forever camp. Um, I think that camp is as diluted as the old school who says, well, your, your diet should be at least 30% carbohydrates no matter what and up to 60%. You know, I think those two camps, as polar opposites as they are, are both incorrect. Um, they're missing big, big parts of the picture. So I just wanted to throw that in there so that we don't get thrown into the wrong mix, which happens all the time. And we'll, we'll leave that as a segue into AJ's I know she's got some rants. Well, I'm, it's going to seem like we planned this, but we didn't. But what you just said is exactly kind of where I want to pick up on, on my rants and what frustrates me. And it's these extremes. The whole industry right now seems to be a battle of these extremes. And it is creating confusion for people. And it's almost like 
people feel like they need to pick a side to defend instead of thinking logically for themselves and saying, hey, maybe it's somewhere in the middle where I should be. And to give you a little bit of a background of, you know, how I started using carbonite and carb backloading for myself long before I started using it with my clients. And it was really interesting for me. And this is where it started all shifting for me, where I really started seeing, hey, you know what? There is something to uh, macronutrient timing um, that I want to learn more about. And it was people coming to me who had been following like a 1,500 calorie a day diet of a mixed diet plan that they got online or, or from their nutritionist, whoever it was. And they had just stalled. They are getting no progress. And they were they were being like really strict with these nutrition plans for months and months and months. So this was not an audience that was educated about carb night or carb backloading. So it's not like they had any other influences um, other than my suggestions. And I just started making simple suggestions like take the carbs out of breakfast, do that for a month. Now take the carbs out of lunch and do that for another month. And every single time, that would be where they would start getting results. And so I was kind of naturally putting into like a carb backloading. And then some people then would then progress and actually just go right on carb night when they felt necessary. But that was the big eye opener for me. And I, I guess, I don't know, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit right now just to what you said. I just see this whole industry right now as like this big UFC match where it's like we got the strict ketogenic diet in one corner and then we got the the mixed nutrition bo bodybuilder old school diet in the other corner and you got to pick a side <laughs> and it's just I think most of the people that post on social media or like I have had people offer to pay me to answer a question for them and the question is this do calories matter? I have people have offered to pay me just to answer a question. And that just, it blows my mind that people can't see that you can embrace all these things. And, and the way people interpret things, they think that, you know, um, maybe a metabolic advantage of a very low carb diet, somehow they interpret that as calories don't matter. But no one said that. That's just the way they interpret it. I don't understand why, <laughs> but I see that every day. Well, you were ranting because somebody went off on that in the Facebook group. Yeah. And, and I'm like, that is probably the one thing that people come to me about all the time. They're like, I just need a quick question. They just, do I, do I need to, do calories matter at all? If I cut out carbs, does it mean that I can eat whatever I want? Or... I see like a lot of things too, where, um, let's say, I don't know, that old school bodybuilding diet, um, the, the people that preach mostly more exercise, less calories, they also instilled a lot of fear in people about metabolic damage from that kind of dieting. Right. So you get a lot of people that come back and they're like, well, I didn't reduce my calories under 2000 calories a day because I'm so afraid that I'm going to get metabolic damage. <laughs> I hate those two words, metabolic oh. damage. And yeah, it's just like people are looking, I don't know what it is, but I hear that so frequently. I didn't want to eat a little bit less. So they haven't even like, they're basically eating maintenance or above whatever they've done with their macros, but they're just so terrified um, of getting metabolic damage. They're training like 
two days a week. <laughs> um, and, and that's the reason why they don't want to drop their calories a little bit lower to see if maybe they're just overeating and that's why they're not losing any weight. That's, that's a start on one of my rants. <laughs> well, the whole, um, the, I mean, it's not that complex of an issue. Do calories not matter at all? No. Uh, is it a very gross, blunt instrument uh, to measure things? Yes. And that's the problem is it's a blunt instrument. It is something that was developed more than 100 years ago uh, just to find some way to equate, uh, like I always like to say, the poor people diet, which is easy, eating a lot of vegetables and not being able to eat a lot of fat or animal products, um, which is which caused malnourishment. And we know still causes malnourishment today um, in at the turn of the 20th century, from the 19th century to the 20th century. So it's a very blunt instrument. We really didn't know a lot at the time. And the problem is that's the only thing anybody knows and that's the only thing anybody studied. So when the only tool you have is a hammer to you know, use this old school analogy, everything looks like a nail. And so that's what we use. And I would argue – Based on, you know, this idea of the calorie and looking at calories in, calories out over the past, even over the past hundred years, all of that has been looked in the context of a diet that's mixed carbohydrate, fat, and protein. And I would say if you consistently stay in that mixed diet state that you can say a lot of consistent things about calories in, calories out in that scenario, where I think change, things change drastically is when you consider the human body as a thermodynamic engine, which it is. So that means changing fuel sources should cause some massive changes in how your body uses ca calories. Does that mean calories no longer matter? No. It means your old school equivalencies may no longer apply. So you get some scale shifting. You get, okay, well – this activity actually uses up more calories than we used to, and this activity uses less. And because we don't have carbohydrates, this process is going on, which is way more wasteful, so we use more energy just sitting around. You know, and, and I would I – would, and that needs to be explored. So we need new, new kind of information on what happens during that transition period, and then we need new information about how do we equate calories for somebody who is purely ketogenic – all the time, we need to look at those equivalencies. Um, and then, you know, another interesting one that we don't have information on is what if somebody's been ketogenic for several years or ultra low carb, and then they go back to a carbohydrate diet? Well, what are the inefficiencies? I would bet almost anything we would see a metabolic advantage in that situation. Um, and I think we see it on a short time scale in carb night. And we have some scientific evidence as well that. Your metabolism goes through the roof when you reintroduce carbohydrates. The problem is that window is much, much shorter than when you go from carbs to, to fat. Um, so the, the whole calories in and, uh, you know, I know somebody in the Facebook group was basically implying that I say calories don't matter at all. And I don't know, you know, where I've ever said calories don't matter at all. You need to put it in the context of the diet you're in and that makes – trying to track your calories down to the ten, you know, tens or even hundreds of calories that you're consuming and trying to equate that to your activity, it makes it, you know, an asinine exercise. It's just, it's, it, it is an exercise in futility because those numbers are pointless. You know, you could be off by plus or minus 200, 
in the calculation just because of the transition you're going through diet-wise. You know, the, the, the numbers are almost, you know, I don't want to say meaningless, but I, you just can't do a lot with them, you know, other than record your numbers for the sake of recording your numbers. I can analogize it to having your gallbladder moved with a shovel. <laughs> it's, it's not it, – it's, it's a blunt <laughs> instrument, right? You'd rather have a scalpel take your gallbladder out but not a shovel. Right? So, I mean that would be another way of kind of uh, giving you a, a metaphor to speak. Well, yeah. and <laughs> because, because like you said, it's, it's, it's very inefficient. We don't know – I mean it, there's such a, a swing in terms of the exact um, energy being consumed um, using a standard measurement like the calorie – um, can put you off, like you said. I mean, you could be maybe it's even as much as five hundred. Some patients in, in, in or patients or people, um, yeah. especially when they're actually then using their exercise as calorie burning agents. And so now you've got a, even a grosser um, mis miscalculation of what's going on because they're going to say, "Well, you know, I'm on the treadmill and I burn three hundred calories on the treadmill, and I'm in a three hundred calorie deficit." And you know that could be that could be a thousand calorie swing, right? I mean, yeah, easily, yeah. Yeah, and, and to add to that confusion, you know, if if you can wrap your head around the fact that the body is a thermodynamic machine, that means there is no reason that you can't lose body fat and well and increase muscle at the same time. But there's no reason you can't lose body fat while keeping at the same caloric load or even a little bit higher. And that I think confuses a lot of people. You know, the idea is that we want to add some thermodynamic inefficiencies and there are ways to do that you know we've had so many people send us dexa scans from and their food logs from being on carb backloading and carbonate where they lose fat without altering their cal caloric load significantly and some carb backloaders who exercise heavily actually pick up their calories about 10 percent of what they're used to i mean and they show you know they have these dexa scans where they've lost body fat that is not an impossibility like you hear all the time in the bodybuilding camps. It's only an impossibility if you ignore that the body is a thermodynamic engine. You know, if you think it's just really calories in, calories out, then there is no – there is absolutely no way you could wrap your mind around the idea that you could induce an inefficiency other than just starving the person. That would make no sense to you. Um, and that's where Alan Aragon is. That just makes no sense to him. He can't really wrap his head around that, I don't think. And and everybody in the Allen Aragon camp, you know, there's a lot of people in that camp. It's the old school camp, and it's going to be really hard uh, to basically sit around and wait till that camp dies out because the information they're giving people is just not doing anybody any good. So eventually, it's just going to die out. We just have to hold on long enough to you know until their death throes come along. Mm -hmm. Okay, and even even like it's uh, my rant on calories. Like, that's a good rant. And just, you know, to tie into that about, um, you know, losing uh, fat and gaining muscle simultaneously, I personally used to think that maybe that was like, if you were a newbie lifter, you could get away with that. And it's just been so interesting, especially in the last two years, working with some athletes, some very experienced lifters, and even with myself thinking, okay, eventually this is going to, you know, plateau. And next time I go through like a phase where I want to try to put on some muscle. It's just, it's just not going to happen as easily, or I'm not going to be able to also shed body fat at the same time. And I 
I went into a lot of those experiments saying, yeah, I'm not sure this is going to happen. And I kept on proving myself wrong <laughs> uh, over and over again, especially with experienced lifters. You'll read that all the time where it's like, oh, you can only do that if you're an inexperienced lifter and you're just stepping into the gym for the first time. But from what I see day to day with clients that I work with and other coaches, I, I just don't believe that at all anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that in obese patients as well. I, I practice with a really, really heavy you know, pre-diabetic type two diabetics, when we put them on, you know, a lower carbohydrate type of diet, they're essentially just losing body fat and actually will actually put on a pound or two of muscle typically over the time period that we're seeing them. So I've seen it clinically here as well. I mean, we're not using DEXA per se, but, you know, in our office, we just have a little, you know, a body impotence mm -hmm. machine, but still, I think it puts you in the neighborhood and we see that change. I mean, so I definitely see it on the, on the sick population, quote unquote, uh, standpoint as well. Yeah, it's, it's that principle I, I coined it a long time ago, the modulated tissue response. It really is a real thing. You can control what tissue is getting what signal. And that's what, you know, everybody has admitted that's the case with resistance training for decades and decades. But when you start to apply it to body fat, they're like, oh, no, that's just stupid. Body fat's just going to get fat no matter what unless you starve the entire organism. It's like that. that's just such backwards thinking. It's like, oh, well – well, we could partition nutrients into the muscle if you resistance train, but there's absolutely nothing in the world that would modulate how body fat's going to accumulate body fat, except for starving the organism or giving it too much food. You know, it, it's kind of funny that we'll, you know, certain camps will pick on the details when it comes to muscle building or performance, but then when it comes to another tissue in the body, fat tissue, they just throw up their hands and say, oh, well, obviously there's nothing we can do with that. You just either have to starve yourself or if you eat too much food, you're going to get fat. End of story. Uh, everything else is stupid. It's pretty much their final conclusion. And they even say that. I mean, that's their favorite pretty much Facebook saying is, oh, that's stupid. Um, wow. Are you guys got quiet? Well, <laughs> I just wasn't sure if you were finished or not there. But you did, you know, what you just mentioned about Facebook, it was, it was an interesting year for me because – I kind of dived into social media a little bit more as I, I didn't get involved in a lot of these debates and conversations, but I watched a lot of them ping pong back and forth. And I did go on to certain uh, chat groups just to listen to some of the information that was being given, uh, you know, even specific things about carb night and carb backloading. And it was really interesting. It was a good exercise for me because it helped me understand uh, our clients better and where they might be getting their information and, and misinformation. And uh, there's just so much banter out there. I, I try to stay out of it all together. And I, I think Rocky probably gets this too, where clients will forward you like something from a Facebook page or an article and they want you to comment on it, which uh, there's just not enough time in the world to do that. But um, yeah, I just, I just want to stay out of that all together. And to tie into that, maybe one of my rants was also just the whole body image thing. There's so many slogans out there and things that people like to write about and, you know, strong is the new skinny and all these things. And people always ask me to comment on that. And I usually refuse to. And it's for one reason, no matter who you're trying to defend or support or whatever, whatever you want to call it, you're always putting someone down. Um, I guess the example would be you know, stupid things that surface like, oh, I don't, I don't even want to say these two words, but I'm going to say it just for the heck of it. The whole thigh gap thing that went around this year. 
I refuse to comment on that whatsoever. And it, it's just like this other thing. There's this, it's another extreme thing where you have, you know, women who don't have thigh gap basically posting all these images of how proud they are for that. And, and throwing it their face. It, it's, wow. it's absolutely absurd. And I sit there and watch it so I can understand what women I work with like sit back and see on social media. Cause I can imagine how frustrating it is if you actually give this crap, any of your attention. And they said, you know, I'll get a message. So what do you think about this? And I said, this is what I think. I know girls who are petite and tiny and want to look like bodybuilders, but they just don't have the genetics or the physique or they, you know, they haven't trained properly. And if I say to them that, or if I post a thing saying, oh, I'm so proud because I don't or do have thigh back gap, I'm putting them down. Like, it, there's just no way to go about it that you're not putting someone else in a, in a different position down. And I refuse to comment on any of those things online. But I really feel that a lot of my clients are really negatively impacted by these things. And that's just another one of my little mini rants. But I think it applies more to the female audience than the men. But it just gets out of control. And if there's anything I can say to the females, it's like, don't give that stuff your attention. Just focus on yourself. It, it, I don't know if anyone wants to run with that one. <laughs> I must have missed that that um, yeah. that fad on Facebook about the thigh gap. I mean, oh, I would be yourself I, lucky. I, I must have just overlooked it. I don't know. But I would think that I'd be more concerned about back fat than thigh gap, right? So the interesting question is maybe there's a ratio we should develop the back fat to thigh gap ratio. We can patent that. How about that? <laughs> we, we could. We could file a provisional patent tomorrow. Oh, no, maybe not. <laughs> but this is what people are spending their time on. And that's what concerns me where it's like they're getting involved in these online arguments and defending themselves for what they look like to people that they'll never, like, what do these people matter? Who cares what these people think? But yet we feel compelled to defend ourselves in the way we look on social media. And I just can't buy into that. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sure there's probably some psychology at play in terms of if, you know, you know, people posting their pics and, and things like that. I, I've seen actually, I think it was today, I've seen two posts about, uh, is it strong as the new skinny? Is that what it is, Andrea, that you had mentioned? Yeah, that's been around I, I, for a while. <laughs> that's, see, that's kind of making his, I've seen that a couple of times over the last couple of weeks on Facebook and I was like, okay, whatever, and move along. But, but it, you know, unfortunately, uh, I'm a lurker as well in a couple of groups. Um, I don't comment very often, but, you know, if it's just something simple and something straightforward or just grossly negligent, I'll say something. Um, uh, and so I, I know like one of the one of the recent posts on one of the groups was um, um, someone had just finished six months of carb night and had great results and was going to go off carb night because that's what it said in the book. And so obviously I kind of posted it. You know, I've been on it three and a half years. You can be on it as long as you want. You know, at the time of the book was written, you know, we, just the data points didn't exist. And now we have the data points and we know that it's something you can do for long, for maintenance. But again, um, it's really just difficult to say. I think you have to take the, unfortunately you have to take the good with the bad with social media too. You know, you're going to see these kind of uh, um, flame throwing events uh, but I think that there can be a lot of good too. I mean, there's a, I think there's a lot of support in some of the groups and, um, certainly, um, you know, I think you can sometimes get a, 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 a granule of information as well. So, 
Yeah. Now my big pet peeve is the, the, um, you know, whenever there's a, a, a pretty decent scientific debate going on and then somebody jumps in with, do you even lift bro to one side or the other of the debaters? <laughs> it's like, really, that is the most intelligent comment you can make. Uh, it, it just astounds me. It's like, well, you know, I, I just can't even imagine if that's the most you can contribute to one of those conversations. I really even question the fact if you can wipe your own ass. You probably have to have somebody do that for you. That's what I'm guessing. That's, I mean, because who else would throw that kind of comment in there? You know, other than somebody who just really has that much lacking mental capacity and made their way to Facebook. I, I just, I don't understand it. And there's a, you know, there's one guy who's got an entire YouTube channel who basically acts that way. Uh, I'm sure you guys. That channel's seen it. awesome, by the way. Who, no, 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 no. Not the, no, no, not the, not the. Are you thinking of the bro science guy? Yeah, yeah. No, I like his channel. His channel's good. Okay. No, there's another guy, the Tiger Fitness guy. He is just straight up. His whole premise for everything he says is, "You should believe me because I'm jacked." Oh, you don't trust me? That's because you're not as jacked as I am. Oh, you think I'm stupid? Well, come fight me. That's his entire argument, justification for everything he says. I like, I've seen a couple episodes on that, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, this person may be one of the most mentally incapacitated fitness commentators on YouTube. I mean, I, I just, I cannot explain it any other way that that, is his defense. That is his almost scientific defense for everything he says. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I, I don't even know if it's a popular channel, but um, I, I can't take anything to anything he says seriously. I hope nobody actually does. I hope they understand that it's, you know, kind of like a Ren and Stimpy cartoon. It's just there to be stupid for entertainment, and that's about it. Um, I haven't seen that one. I'm going to have to go see that Oh, one. yeah, you got to go look up the Tiger me. Fitness guy. Oh! You don't right. believe me? Come fight me! He's like the not ma- ma- Randy the Macho Man of. Uh, it is. Of, uh, oh, that's fitness. perfect. That's perfect. That's exactly it. He just needs to start wearing sunglasses, and he would have it nailed. Like half the time, I think he's about to shit himself, but right before he signs <laughs> off, I'm like, "Whoa, dude, dude, back off, back off! You're gonna blow your O-ring." Um, it's- <laughs> <laughs> but it's stuff like like everybody's doing that kind of stuff. It's just uh, it's like, you know, that's totally useless, especially when when you know on Facebook and it doesn't happen that much, or on Twitter, there's a decent debate going on and people throw stuff like that in there. It's like, what even possessed you to comment? It it, it just <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And then you know that's what kind of escalates into these YouTube channels. Um, but I do like the bro science guy. That guy is hilarious. He is. An artist with hyperbole. He really is. He's, his channel is so much fun. <laughs> yes, one of my personal favorites. <laughs> but it's weird. Social media is just like, like he's, Rocky said, it, it can be such a good place to learn, you know, little tidbits of information that you can explore or things could just get just so out of context so quickly. And, you know, one personal example that happened to me this year is I posted a picture of a burger I ate. I think it was like an ultra-low-carb burger, so it was like on a bed of lettuce, like just a burger patty, pickles, tomatoes, mayo, whatever was on it. Someone shared the photo, and this was like their quote when they shared it. Carbonate expert, see? Calories don't matter. Wow. <laughs> like, I was like, what the heck 
just happened. So wow. I really don't take things like that personally, but I, I did on this one. I actually contacted the person and I said, that I don't know where you gathered from that photo of a burger without a bun that calories don't matter and that furthermore to say that I said that. <laughs> so could you please remo- remove your post? I don't mind you sharing it, but adding that little bit of information it was not the message that I was trying to relay. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'll take it down. I just calories don't matter, right? <laughs> like, okay, here we go again. And, you know, you see that all the time. It's that's kind of where things get a little confusing. And I hope that people can kind of separate the garbage from the stuff that you might want to take away and consider. Oh, the garbage. You think this is garbage? Why don't you fight me? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I couldn't resist. That's all right. But you know, it's interesting you say fight me. Like there's a, some, what's the word that they use? I think it's summit is the big the popular term right now, but there's like a summit going on next year somewhere in the UK with Alan Aragon and Gary Tobbs are like the big highlight headliners. And it's like marketed to be like a UFC fight. Yeah. Instead of an opportunity to maybe look at, you know, both sides of the spectrum or whatever, and just a learning opportunity altogether. It's advertised and marketed as a face off. Well, and actually, actually yeah. really- yeah, I think it should be, you know, marketed as a slaughterhouse because, I mean, <laughs> Alan Aragon is really going in there with, you know, he's basically carrying a knife to a gunfight in that one. I mean, I think the guy would be astute enough not to have taken that on. I mean, I, mean, I I'd like to go. I'd like to hear what everyone has to say, but I, I just I hate this whole approach where everything is like, oh, it's a battle. It's a duo. We're going to who's going to well, win? Well, it kind gotta, of is. I mean, promote it. Right. I mean. Yeah, it's it's a debate though. I mean, in a debate, you do you do debate to try to win. I mean, that really and and I under you know I I get that you don't like it's been trumped up so much to be this like huge bloodbath sensation, but you know in in a debate, and I think this is very very important in this industry. Uh, you know, in a debate, you're there to present facts and information and case studies and medical histories to help people understand why your position is the right one. You know, if you feel and I, and I understand that Alan Aragon believes his position is the right one and Gary Tobbs believes his position is the right one. I think they're both incorrect, um, but they're both going to go up there and try to win that argument and i think gary has so much more data and actual physiological data that is just fact that he can rely on and i you know i'm not sure what alan aragon's going to have to go to epidemiological studies every time which is the only thing he ever really goes to or poorly conducted short-term studies you know those are his go-tos and those cannot compare with the physiological data we that we have and some of the long-term studies that we have there's just there's no way you can sustain a consistent strong argument for a long period of time with just epidemiological data it's it's just not going to work um so anyway you you know that that is the point of the debate somebody's got to win but it being trumped up to this you know mma blood you know, blood sport kind of thing. Uh, you know, I agree there. It, it should be the 
the consensus should be, okay, th- these two are going to go head to head and it's an opportunity for everybody to learn something. And, you know, I think you're exactly right in that statement, AJ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I, and I just feel kind of bad for the people who maybe aren't as well educated in the industry who look upon something like that, where again, once again, they just are probably feel, feel like compelled to pick an extreme, one or the other, instead of extracting the information, um, the good information from both sides and trying to find something that, you know, in between that, that works for them. Um, and instead, it's always one extreme or the other. And of course, there's an extreme that I tend to agree with more, but <laughs> um, I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's where I'm at. <laughs> I was, I was just going to say that, you know, that, that, you know, it's all marketing and I think it may be to transition the marketing of health or what is health on social media and on the internet and the blogosphere, something that I'll rant on because it is just, um, something that, it, you know, it seems so transparent to me, um, that, you know, you mentioned the word summit and you have all these you know, health summits that you can sign up for with these free videos and, and, and such. And it seems like it's, it's almost like a, um, a circuit making the rounds and you can just pick a topic. Is it going to be hormonal dysfunction? Is it going to be, um, you know, uh, weight loss is going to be cognitive performance. It seems like there's almost one every quarter. And, um, I think that the marketing of these and maybe Kiefer will be more attuned to the actual, you know, root cause or the root of what they're trying to achieve. But certainly, um, I don't know. I mean, you can certainly, what can you deliver in a 45 minute presentation to a sick patient on 10 medications that's going to really move the dial with them? Um, I mean, I certainly, certainly think that there'll be some motivated people out there that will, will take it and run with it. But for the vast majority, it seems like at least my impression from when people come to talk to me and after viewing some of these things, they seem more confused than they were before they actually started doing this stuff. And then they start taking some of these recommendations and applying them. And then they'll take one recommendation and then from one guru, pick another recommendation from another guru. And, oh, you know what? Let's put them together because that makes sense because they got two gurus in one, you know, in one spot and, you know, we'll add that in. And it, it never works out well. <laughs> and so I always kind of uh, – I, I, the more and more I see these type of things online, I just the more I kind of shake my head and I'm like, you know – I, it's important to get information out to patients or to, to consumers, I guess. Um, but it just seems like it almost does more harm than good a lot of the times. And and so I don't know. Uh, that's kind of my uh, – to just take off on the summit. To come back to the Tobbs, you know, Aragon thing, I think that, yeah, they're just marking – they're hyping, trying to hype that up. I know it's in it's in London, right? I think that, that, that one's in London. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that, again, you've got two pretty much diametrically opposed viewpoints – and like we've said already, um, neither one of those are usually the answer. Typically, um, you can have what is it? You can have one side or the other, and usually someone in the middle is what the right answer is. And 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 certainly, um, I think that's what's going on here as well. And, and I think you already mentioned that it probably will be predominantly one-sided. I am intrigued to listen to it, though. I just like to see how the old camp, you know, makes some of their arguments um, because I, I I think that. You know, I think a lot of people in the old camp tend to be more fitness, nutrition type people. I don't see a lot of medical providers in the old camp per se. Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting to see how that all plays out from a from a real world kind of standpoint and KC standpoint and 
and and you know and that'll be a kind of an interesting thing to to, to look at. But yeah, I, I think those are things that kind of again, I, as I see more and more of these things coming up and how they're promoted and how they're hyped up and um, it's really kind of turned me off a lot from social media in general. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and it, the unfortunate part is it really is almost a necessary vessel these days to reach your audience and expand your audience, so we're kind of stuck, uh, mired in it at the moment, so I try to use it as best I can. Uh, you know, I float in and out of there some, uh, but... But you, could, but, you, but you can look at these, and it's like the same five, six people on every single one of these. I mean, it's like a yeah. constant merry-go-round, you know, and it's like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's annoying. What what else? What else do we have? We can talk about Doctor Oz. <laughs> uh, oh God, yeah, that's Oz worth a good rant. Yeah, that's that's like beating a dead horse, though. That poor guy. I mean, when I go shopping, uh, Christmas shopping at the, I had to go to the mall, which is not somewhere I like to go. But I had to go to an electronics store. I just walked through the store, and they had like the whole row of TVs, and it was Doctor Oz, and I just went through the mall and switched the channel. <laughs> that felt really good. <laughs> yeah, he's. I think you know. Um, I was hoping somebody would say something about paleo because I always like to rant about it. Well, let's go for it. To, we have but... time. Oh, we've got time. We've got like fifteen minutes. Well, I don't know if we have enough time for one of my rants, but I, I could get at least one point in there. Um, because so you know, still going out having social engagement engagements. I try to find some way to never tell people what it is I do. Because the moment I open my mouth and I do anything related to health or fitness or diet, they start asking me about something they read about or something they do. Like gluten is always at the top of the thing. And uh, around here in the Bay Area, people a little more savvy. A lot of them have heard about um, paleo or biohacking or things like that. My favorite was the other day I was talking about gluten and I was like, you know, this whole gluten thing has turned out to be a devastatingly embarrassing canard. I mean, the more it's studied, the more evidence comes out that gluten is not toxic at all. You know, most people have no reaction whatsoever. You can trick them into thinking they have a reaction. You can change their diet, which unfortunately one of the pivotal books, you know, actually put out a a diet plan to test if you were allergic to things that actually made people have an allergic reaction. I mean, this is the just blunder after blunder after blunder with this whole gluten thing. And people run with it and they tied it to wheat. Wheat is the devil. And you've got uh, Dr. Perlmutter writing, you know, basically on, um, well, he's more carbs, but who's the wheat belly guy? Uh, William Davis. Yeah, William Davis. You've got him. Yeah, pinning and he penned an entire book about, you know, how wheat is evil. Uh, and he gave all these reasons. Most of his reasons, he left out critical information that was almost would be embarrassing for anybody else to put into a book and leave out some of the things he said because he you know, talked about the addictive chemicals in wheat, but he failed to mention the only way those would ever reach the brain is if somebody injected them into you intravenously, um, you know, all kinds of things like that. And, you know, he's, you know, tying it everything's so tied to wheat now it's become paleo and their defense of this food toxicity thing especially wheat has become completely political it is no longer science driven it is no longer i don't even think health driven it is completely reputation driven you know the gluten things turned out to be a canard 
I've had so many people, even just around here, I try to go to dinner with them. They tell me they're allergic to gluten. They talk to me through dinner. By the next dinner, they told me, oh, well, you know, I had pizza the other night and I had no reaction at all. It, it was that simple. So now they're eating car, they're eating weed again and they love life once more. And they'll do donut runs with me. You know, it's amazing that the cure for gluten allergy is to just believe that you don't have it. Oh my gosh, how much of a miracle is that? So now that the gluten thing is, you know, pretty, you know, scientifically been disproven, you can prove it amongst your friends if you can just, conv- you know, talk convincingly enough about the science, you can convince them. So the next thing now that everybody's rushing to is these FODMAPs. Oh, well, obviously it wasn't gluten in wheat. It was FODMAPs. That's why wheat makes everybody sick. So now, you know, everybody's rushing down this road. Again, there's no research on this that's compelling. So that's why they can hide under it. It's their watershed that they can hide under for a little while. More research is going to come out. I guarantee FODMAPs are going to be another canard. And, if, and they're going to go, well, of course it wasn't gluten. And of course it wasn't FODMAPs. It's the serpents that are in wheat. So then they'll hide under that watershed. And there will be testing on the serpents in wheat. Which are little protein fractions, and and then they'll and then that'll be another canard. But oh well, of course it wasn't that. And you know they're they're going to keep doing this because they've built an entire career and an entire ideology on wheat. They have no choice anymore other than to come up with bullshit reasons why wheat might be the cause of all the diseases that we see in in modern society when. And they do that so that they can push themselves farther and farther away from the original component of paleo that actually made it successful, and that what it was that it was low carb. So now they're stuck villainizing wheat so that they can make things like potatoes and rice seem okay to eat, so that they can raise the carb level of the diet and start to make people sick again. It's like, oh my god, this is the most frustrating paradigm I've ever seen in my life. This is so idiotic. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think that the I think the nobleness, if there's such a word, of paleo has been long lost. I mean, I think if you come back to paleo, I think the thing that really dry, drove it for me, at least as I as I kind of worked with it with patients, is that you know it's going to make your diet healthier because you're eating real food. You know, you're right. you're probably and it may not be the food that you're eating, but it's probably more the food that you're not eating. But I think the business of paleo is really what's turned me off because it seems like everybody has their own little take on it, their own little spin, um, like you say, and that whole business aspect of it is is something that really kind of uh, has turned me off as well. Um, But again, you know, why don't you just tell people eat real food? I mean, that's like, right? I mean, that is their message in a nutshell. Yeah, but but it's so complicated and and driven into minutia of all these other different types of. issues that are brought up um, because there's always got to be the next thing, like you say, but uh, it just, uh, yeah, I, I think that, like I said, that business of paleo really was turned me off per se, but you know, like you said, um, who doesn't want to go on a good donut run, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, what's amazing is just how thankful they are that they could go eat those donuts. You know, it's amazing. They, they were putting a lot of stress on themselves to never touch or be around wheat or gluten and it was just you know it wasn't that they could eat the donuts it's that they didn't have to worry about it anymore and you know we had talked good good 
Oh, so it could also be that you have the the small, you know, you have a small percentage being the vocalist, right? The most the loudest. So that could be the other issue here. I mean, we're not. I'm not saying that nobody can, you know, that, that everybody can tolerate gluten, right? There are small segments of the population that have either insensitivity or intolerance, or they get celiac. But by and large, I mean, so it sounds like you have the a small group of pay, people who have a lot of these issues are creating the most amount of noise. Yes. And, and, and certainly drowns out the um, people who don't have the issues because they're not saying anything because they're fine. You know? Right. Right. And even celiacs, that's the interesting thing. And, you know, they've, they've got some really neat studies where they introduce uh, gluten to celiacs after they've, you know, gone on a diet and they've recovered. They haven't had any flare-ups. They'll actually give them a gluten load either without carbohydrates, so it's just a pure gluten load, or – They'll give them carbohydrates, but enough enzymes to neutralize the carbohydrates before it hits the gut. And guess what? They have absolutely no reaction. The carbohydrates are the catalyst. Without the carbohydrates, we don't have these problems. Carbohydrates cause this inflammatory environment in the body. End of story. And that's what paleo talks about in 5,000 different ways. All this inflammation that we need to worry about. That's why your gut's sick. That's why this is sick. That's... But then they try to find creative ways to bring in the most major inflammatory substance in our diet. Um, that, that's what's really frustrating to me, and it's just because they want wide acceptance. Paleo is a brand that nobody ever thought to trademark. So now everybody can use it, and everybody can profit from it, and everybody can say whatever it is they want to say, and they can brand themselves paleo so that they can make money and get search terms. I mean, I had one... One group was like, no, 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 we, I know we're not paleo, but we don't want to stop using it because the search on Google is so good for it. I'm like, are you kidding me? So basically what you're saying is you want to trick people into finding you based on the idea of paleo, but yet you're not paleo at all, but you're going to call yourself paleo because you know it's going to attract an audience. You know, stuff like that to me is – it's sickening. It's why this whole industry sucks. Honestly. Yep. Amen would, to that. I would agree. Certainly. And, and just like on a client, like dealing with clients that come to me for coaching, what I see with a lot of people, uh, women in particular that have been strict paleo, they're just terrified of food. They're terrified of so many things. They feel so restricted. That just puts a tremendous amount of stress on an individual. Uh, so that's frustrating for me. And I see a lot of those women um, when they're kind of managing their diet on their own and they're within the paleo limits, they really end up following the worst macronutrient ratio that you can think of, which is a high protein, low fat, moderate carb kind of approach. And that's kind of what they all seem to fall into naturally. So they're not getting nearly enough fat to be on like a ultra low carb uh, diet. And they're, they're just kind of wishy-washy in the middle and, and they're just overeating protein like crazy. And I just see that over and over again. Yeah, it, it's interesting because Rocky had given me a source for this where they, it's one of the few studies where they actually studied paleo, you know, as, as best as they could define it for the, the research paper. And they compared it to the standard American prescription uh, or the, the standard, basically, uh, American Heart Association diet. They compared the two, six-month trial. So guess what happened when paleo went head-to-head -head with the American Heart Association's diet? 
no difference between groups whatsoever. And I would argue it's because their prescription of paleo that they were able to derive from all the noise that's out there was about 30% carbohydrate. You know, it, the, the carbs are the problem. And, you know, I, I don't know why even people in the paleo sphere are so scared to admit that. And they say, oh, no, it's the type of carbs. Look, by the time those carbs get to your cells and are usable, they're glucose or, or fructose has been absorbed and it's been converted into a byproduct through the hexokinases. But it's still the same end result. There's a lot of inflammatory chemicals that are produced and it doesn't matter where those carbs started. So maybe some other crap was in there that you didn't need, but the carbs all reach the cell in the exact same way. There is no magical potato that is different from the carbohydrate, the way it's metabolized from a cherry turnover. You know, I'll just be honest. There, there's really no magic substance out there. Uh, you know, the carbs are going to be used as glucose when they get down to that level. Or if you're diabetic, they might get absorbed as fructose, but go through the same pathways from the hexokinases being able to, to bind to them. But regardless, you know, it, it, so, you know, they just, it's just so annoying. Paleo was successful because it was low carb because you cut out all grains and then potatoes slipped in there. And then it was like, oh, well, Okinawans eat white rice, so it must be okay. We'll throw that in there and, you know, so on and so forth. And so then now it's right back to basically the macronutrient makeup of the American diet that made everybody sick in the first place. And that would explain some of the paleo experts I've seen who have bestsellers. I've met them in real life. And I don't know how they're making recommendations for anybody to lose weight. And that's the focus of the book they published. Um, I find that irresponsible as well. It's like, oh, paleo, I can slap paleo on this and I'm going to make a bunch of money. And it works. Um, it just flat out works. And I find that I, because of that, I will never want to be associated with paleo. Other than to go to paleo effects because they let me trash paleo on stage. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that they've given me carte blanche to do that, but um yeah, I just I, I think it really needs to you know that that's why I like Mark Sisson's approach so much and why you know he very specifically has primal. Primal means something specific. Um nobody out there can use primal for their dietary plan and try to profit from it by making it some bastardized version. You know, it's, it's a very protected, concise brand and means something very specific. And that's very important in this industry. If you are doing something scientific or you are doing something where you're trying to help a lot of people, you have to be careful of those kind of things. You need to be cognizant of them. Sorry, that was a long rant on paleo. That was the full 15 minutes. I think that was good. <laughs> So maybe we should say some good things at the end of the podcast because we kind no, of this is supposed settled. to be the end of the year rant. Okay, yeah, we'll leave it at the rant then. We can start the new year with some <clears throat> nice things. <laughs> we'll start the new year with positivity. How about that? There we go. Sure. Well, I mean, can anybody think, think this, of anything positive? I mean, you're welcome to. Well, I was just gonna say that I know that we kind of trash a lot of social media and Facebook stuff, but there is a lot of positive things out there. And there are a lot of 
people out there supporting one another, like giving them that emotional support when they need it, you know, if they haven't made progress or whatever. So I, I don't want to overlook that because I, you know, I really do think that that's an important thing that goes on. And I don't want to discourage people from using those platforms to be positive and help one another. Um, I just always say use with caution. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the social aspects of things are very, very important, period. And actually participating and engaging in social activities is a part of health. End of story. I'm just not sure the way it's used all the time on social media is healthy. Um, but but it is very helpful to know there are people out there in the same situation as you who maybe are having the same problems, who started at the same place and even have a similar lifestyle to you. Uh, it, it's great to find those people and communicate and find what, you know, what was the best thing that worked and how you made certain changes in your life. I, yeah, I think that is a powerful aspect of social media, but it is not as powerful as a true social social community that you can surround yourself with in real life. Being on social media right now as we podcast and I'm looking at AJ's feed, I think I need to take a plane to Canada because I'm looking at what she baked and I'm like, wow, that sounds really good. And you know what? If this podcast airs, it will probably be already in my belly. (laughs) (laughs) I baked for the first time in, well, I wouldn't say the first time in my life, but I spent some time baking this Christmas. Nice. Because I know how to manipulate my carbs to my advantage, so I can do that now. (laughs) uh, Yeah, it should be interesting. Doesn't it just make life so simple? I mean, honestly. You know what? It, it really does. I, in the last two years have just transformed the way I look at so many things. And one of the biggest things for me has just been, it's just, it's simple. So it's, it's, I don't put that much thought into what I do, despite what other people think. And, um, I mean, I always have a plan of attack and I have goals, but, uh, it's just, it's liberating. There's so much freedom and I don't have to, and my head's just not full of worry. Like it used to be when I used to follow paleo. <laughs> it really is the simplicity of it, right? You know, I mean, when it gets down to it, eat your carbs a night. If you're squishy like me, eat them once a week. You're done, right? <laughs> Nothing else to worry about. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it really is pretty simple. And you know, that, and, and it, the more you limit your carbohydrates, the less you have to worry about the type of carbohydrate, you know, and, and that's why it becomes important. I think in the, the paleo world now to get any kind of results, they have to be very, very specific about the type and amount of carbohydrate. Whereas, you know, if you really limit them and eat them at the appropriate times or in the appropriate ways, you, you just don't have to worry about it. There's really, if you're eating carbs once a week, there's not a huge difference between a baked white potato with some grass-fed butter or a piece of cheesecake. From a health standpoint, and Rocky has examples of this with his patients, there's no difference in those two foods. Uh, it, you know, it just doesn't matter if you're, if you're on carb night. I mean, that's a little more extreme. And then that's why on carb backloading, you can get away with junk more often than you could otherwise. You shouldn't eat it every night. But every once in a while, you know, it's not going to have an effect. Um, I just it, – it makes life so easy because I don't have to think about food anymore. I used to plan every meal. I had little Tupperware things I took with me all the time. I would just blow up at somebody if they interrupted my meal time or even made me wait an extra five or ten minutes. 
you know, everything was planned out, measured, weighed, counted. I knew exactly what I should be eating every day of the week for the next six months. And I hated food. You know, it was a means to an end. And now I've got a pretty good relationship with food. I enjoy it. If I want something really tasty, I eat it. Um, most of the time I just eat what I know my body needs and it's that simple, just that simple. And if it's dark, I'll eat carbs. It's, it's so true. People will sit down and see me eating something that, you know, maybe if they don't know me very well and they look at me and then they see me eating apple crumble after my dinner, I'll get comments like, oh, you can, you can eat that. Um, doesn't that have wheat in it? But, you know, I get all those kind of comments and I just look at my watch and I go, oh, it's dark out. I'm training tomorrow. Sure, I can eat it. <laughs> Maybe. Of story. And they, they just sit there scratching their heads. They're like, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> I just, it just hit me. Maybe that's the Tiger Fitness guy's problem. He actually is allergic to wheat and he always eats his recommended recommendations, which, you know, he doesn't seem to care about wheat at all. And by the time from when he starts his video to the end, his colon's about to explode. That's why he's straining <laughs> his voice hard. He's like, oh, you think this is bad? And then cuts the video and just runs straight to the shitter. That <laughs> totally explains it. Dude, Tiger Fitness guy, go get checked out for celiac. That is my best <laughs> advice to you. <laughs> And I'm sure he'll post a YouTube video. Oh, yeah, you want to fight? It's like, sure. I only have to stand there for five minutes until you shit yourself, and then we're done. <laughs> I think the last podcast we were on with you, it's turned dog farts was how we ended it, ended it. And now we're talking about running to the shitter. <laughs> well, you know, we got to end Maybe on a high note. Slim Jim to sponsor the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, luckily Cooper didn't drop any ass today, so that was good. <laughs> so, all right, I guess that's a good place to end it. And um, that's it. Any last comments from anybody? Have a great holiday and a new year. Yeah. Happy holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. I so, think everyone will probably be in a carb coma when they listen to this. Yeah. They should be anyway. <laughs> so everyone, this is your Christmas present that everybody was hoping they would get. Um, here it is. And um, yeah, everybody enjoy the holidays and we will talk with you next year. That's another episode of Body IO FM. been listening to Body IOFM with your hosts, Kiefer and Dr. Rocky. If you'd like to hear more, log on to body.io. We'll be back next time with more science from the pinnacle of human health and performance.